Democratic presidential hopefuls one up each other on who likes killing babies more at the first and second Democratic presidential primary debates. I'm going to break down their Orwellian doublespeak and translate it into reality. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. Well, welcome to the show. I have a lot to get through uh, today, as you are aware. The first and second Democratic presidential primary debates just happened this week on Wednesday and Thursday, and the topic of abortion naturally came up in both debates, and it was an ideological train wreck, to put it lightly. So I want to look at Wednesday's debate. That was June 26th, the first Democratic presidential primary debate, which went for a couple hours. But of course, as it always does, the topic of abortion did come up several times, and And some of our Democratic hopefuls gave their bankrupt thoughts on killing children in the womb. So first, I want to start with Amy Klobuchar, who's polling at almost nothing right now, senator from Minnesota. And she was asked a question in relation to abortion. So uh, let's go ahead and play that clip. And I want to see for us to examine her response. Senator, Senator Klobuchar, I want to get you. That's I want a false to, claim. I'm fascinated by this, Senator, Senator Klobuchar. I just want to say there's three women up here that have fought pretty hard for a woman's right to choose. So I'll start with that. There are three women up here who have fought hard for a woman's right to choose, obviously pandering to those who believe that abortion is merely a woman's rights issue. And so if you don't have a uterus, you should shut up. Of course, pro-choice women, pro-choice women politicians have no problem when men talk about abortion if those men happen to be pro-choice. So this is obviously just ideological conformity for those who support the killing of children. But I just want to talk about the irony of this statement and really just the irony of pro-choice feminists in general, how ironic those two things are. And I'm going to actually argue that they can't even coexist at all. Because what what is the most fundamental statement you could make about feminism, regardless of first, second, or third wave feminism, regardless of whether you support feminism or hate feminism? I feel like probably the most basic belief that you could say about feminism is that women matter. Female lives matter. <laughs> and because women have inherent dignity and worth, they should have right equal rights as men, equal protection under the law. They shouldn't be abused. They shouldn't be trafficked. They shouldn't be used for exploitation. Women matter. Female lives matter. And they're equally valuable to the lives of men. So if, if women matter and you're a feminist and you believe that, you really would have to believe that if you're a feminist at all, then why are you campaigning on the killing the state-sanctioned slaughter and government funding of killing unborn women. If female lives matter, it seems to me that female lives should matter from the second they are females, which would be the moment of conception, not once they're born. And something that you're never going to hear the left or the pro-choice politicians talk about is actually the history of feminism. Because the history of feminism and early feminist leaders is not a good talking point if you're a pro-choice politician because it cuts against their narrative. So for example, early feminist leaders were actually very pro-life. And Live Action has a great article on some of the seven leading early feminist leaders, all who were pro-life. So I don't have time to go through the whole article. Go check it out. Lila Rose, Live Action. 
on the some of the leading feminists in the sort of beginning of the feminist movement who were very pro-life. But I want to look at Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell. Now, she, she is significant to examine because she was the first woman to earn a medical degree. So that's pretty cool. She was active in the suffrage movement from the mid to late 1800s and the abolitionist movement. And uh, she died in the early 1900s. So she wrote very extensively as to why unborn children should be protected in the first place. So here's something that, that Elizabeth Blackwell, a suffragette feminist leader, said about unborn children. She said, quote, look at the first faint gleam of life, the life of the embryo, the commencement of human existence. That's literally the definition of conception, the commencement of human existence. She says, we see a tiny cell so small it may be easily overlooked. It is a living cell. It contains a power progressive growth according to laws, according towards a definite type that we can only regard with reverent admiration. So much for insensate blobs of tissue that get gently suctioned out of the uterus. She says, leave it in its natural home, tended by the rich life of the healthy maternal organism, and it will grow steadily into the human type in no other by any possibility. She's saying it can't be anything but a human because its mother is human. It's a healthy maternal organism, the mother who's supposed to care for that child, and that we can only regard the unborn child with reverent, reverent admiration. Compare that to Amy Klobuchar saying, women are fighting hard for women's right to choose. Choose what? Choose to pay an abortionist to dismember their child and call it reproductive health care. Furthermore, Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell has a diary entry that we have about a New York illegal abortionist, of course, because this was the 1800s, by the name of Madame Restel. And this is what she says in her diary entry about an abortionist who's illegally killing unborn children. She said, quote, the gross perversion and destruction of motherhood by the abortionist filled me with indignation and awakened active antagonism. That the honorable term female physician should be exclusively applied to those women who carried on this shocking trade seemed to me a horror. It was an utter degradation of what might and should become a noble position for women. That's some harsh language about an abortionist, about a career that is literally elevated as something holy and righteous by pro-choice politicians and literally every Democratic presidential hopeful. And she says that the career of an abortionist fills her with indignation because it's the gross perversion and destruction of motherhood, which can only be a, per, a destruction if the child of the mother is itself being eliminated. So here we have an early feminist suffragette leader who's acknowledged as such by people on the left, who was the first woman to earn a medical degree, fought against slavery, and couldn't be more explicitly pro-life. And yet Amy Klobuchar, presidential hopeful, is talking herself up and the other women on stage this Wednesday because women should fight for women's rights to kill unborn women. Secondly, Julian Castro, who was also on stage at the Democratic presidential primary on Wednesday, gave his opinion on abortion as well. Now, of course, like I mentioned, those who support abortion are perfectly fine with men talking about abortion as long as those men are pro-choice. <laughs> they never tell men to shut up if men are pro-choice, only if men are pro-life. So this is not about genitalia or lack of a uterus. This is about ideological conformity. Now, Julian Castro, if you recall, was former housing secretary 
And of course, he's asked about his opinion on abortion as well. So I want to play that clip so you can hear it in context. All of you on stage support a woman's right to an abortion. You all support some version of a government health care option. Would your plan cover abortion, Mr. Secretary? Uh, yes, it would. Uh, I don't believe only in reproductive uh, freedom. I believe in reproductive justice. And... I don't believe, I don't just believe in reproductive freedom. I believe in reproductive justice. My goodness, this Orwellian nature of pro-choice language has become the absolute standard in the abortion debate, particularly on the left. We cannot talk about abortion as dismemberment, which is medically correct terminology to describe any abortion. We can't talk about it as a convenient choice to avoid motherhood. No, it's, it's reproductive justice, you see. Abortion then becomes reproductive freedom, having the choice to pay someone else to kill your child. And then if you fight for abortion rights, if you're a social justice warrior who's on the front lines of pushing legal abortion rights, then, then, then you're just a reproductive justice warrior. You see, it's reproductive justice if you're Planned Parenthood and if you fight for a woman's right to kill her child. Imagine saying, imagine saying, you know what? Child abuse is parental freedom. And if you fight for the rights of parents to bruise their toddlers, that's parental justice. I mean, you want to translate this Orwellian doublespeak into reality? That, that's exactly the proper analogy. If abortion is reproductive freedom and fighting for abortion rights is reproductive justice, then child abuse is parental freedom and fighting for child abuse is parental justice. This is the reality. And this is why the abortion debate always returns to the question, what is the unborn? Because these Democratic presidential hopefuls who are all incredibly pro-abortion would never talk about child abuse the way I just did, right? Obviously, they would not do that. But they talk about killing unborn children who are children and just happen to find themselves six inches away in their mother's womb as reproductive justice. All of these words are so misleading, but intentionally used in order to mislead the American public and, and forward the lie that's been the norm for nearly 47 years that abortion is just a commonplace medical procedure that gently suctions out an insensate blob of tissue. That's how they can justify calling it justice in the first place. Now, even the term reproductive, reproduction, reproductive freedom, reproductive justice is such an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Once there's a baby, there's no more reproduction. You're not reproducing anything. There's already a baby in your womb. So if you want to talk about reproductive freedom, whether women should have the freedom when they want to reproduce, I'm all for that. Go for it. I believe women should have, women and men should have the right to decide when they want to reproduce. Reproductive justice, that sounds like maybe fighting for the legal protection of families to decide when they want to create children. Well, you already have that, but if we didn't have that, sure, I'd fight for that as well. That's what these words and terms seem to mean, but we know that's not what they mean. Abortion has become reproductive freedom killing something that's already been reproduced. And reproductive justice has been defending the rights of parents to pay physicians or force you to pay the physicians to kill their children. My goodness, this is the nature of today's Democratic Party. Speaking of Orwellian, speaking of George Orwell, he wrote a powerful and prophetic essay in 1946, entitled Politics and the English Language. And one of the last sentences of his essay says this. 
He says, quote, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. I mean, this guy should practically be in the Old Testament. I mean, this guy, this is so prophetic. This is unreal. Political language is designed to make lies sound truthful. Abortion is reproductive freedom. Pro-choice warriors are reproductive justice. And murder respectable. Well, yeah, abortion sounds pretty respectable if you call it reproductive freedom rather than slow dismemberment. And to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. Every single response of every Democratic presidential hopeful that we're going to look at during this podcast is pure wind. Empty words that, that sound respectable but are complete and utter unashamed lies about the nature of abortion. So there you go. Now, Julian Castro continues in his comments on abortion by saying something so insane that I'm not even sure where to start. Let's play the second half of Julian Castro's response. Let's also not forget someone in the trans community, a trans female, uh, is poor doesn't mean they shouldn't have the right to exercise that right to choose. And so I absolutely would cover the right to have an abortion. (laughs) Okay, did you just hear that? So Julian Castro, former housing secretary, believes first that abortion is reproductive justice, okay? It's It's actually just to give the death penalty to unborn children who are innocent. Secondly, we we can't forget about trans females. Okay, now, a trans female is a man who thinks he's a woman, dresses as a woman, and may or may not pay surgical costs to change his genitalia to look more like a woman. That's what a trans female is. Julian Castro says, let's not forget about the trans females. They should also have the right to exercise the right to choose. So uh, let me let, let me translate the Orwellian doublespeak. Men who think they are women and dress as women and pay for self-mutilation surgery to make them look like women should have the right to exercise abortion as well. Um, maybe someone needs to let Julian Castro know that men do not have wombs and men do not have uteruses. A trans female is a man. Now, if you think this is absolute insanity, which it obviously is, this is actually a debate that's happening right now. <laughs> There's an article over at BioEdge examining bioethical conversations and advances in medical opportunities. And they're talking about the future and near possibility of womb transplants for men who think they are women. So we are going to, we are going to malign the male system to make room for an artificial womb or uterus then through in vitro, in vitro fertilization, we can make a man's body a carrier of a woman's uterus with an in vitro fertilized human being. Of course, that's a misnomer. Once fertilization occurs, there's a human being. With an early human being in the woman's uterus, which is being surgically implanted in a man's body. <laughs> that's, where, that's where our culture is right now. And, and, and it's hilarious to me that those who are proponents of abortion claim to be so because hashtag science. <laughs> and, and they tell people like you and me who are pro-life, you science denier. <laughs> I'm sorry. You want to talk about science denial? Men cannot get pregnant. Men do not have uteruses. And men cannot give birth. But apparently we're going to 
self-mutilate men's bodies to make room. I don't know. I don't know what you have to get rid of by a uh, surgically in a man to make room for a womb and then i guess remove his genitalia put an artificial vagina that somehow connects to well actually i know i think they've said that they would that it would all have to be cesarean section in this article because of course uh, a man could not literally give birth vaginally to 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 a baby so anyways that's so a julian castro running for president of the united states men who think they're women and dress as women and pay surgically to have their genitalia look more like women should also have the right to abortion well, there you go. So uh, lastly, we move on to Elizabeth Warren right now. She is polling uh, slightly better than everyone else right now. And of course, that's often due to the media propping her up uh, according to whoever they feel like they like the most at the time being. Now, of course, she's a senator from Massachusetts and the her whole controversy was thinking that she was Native American and putting that on her... her uh, law school profile and then apologizing for saying that she was Native American because we're probably all more Native American than she was. So that's kind of how she got popular. Now she gets asked, of course, a question about abortion as well. She specifically asked if she would put any restrictions at all on abortion. So let's go ahead and play her clip and, uh, and hear her response. Senator. We yes, now have an America where most people support Roe versus Wade. We need to make that Senator federal Gerber, law. Thank you. Jose. Yes, sir, thank you. Okay, so I, I played that clip because it's the most significant. She said, most people in America support Roe versus Wade. We need to make that federal law. Now, she, she never answers a question that she was asked earlier, by the way, whether she would put any restrictions at all on abortion. Completely ignored the, that question and went on to say, most people in America support Roe versus Wade, and we need to make that federal law. So no more, no more of this nonsense of allowing states the right to pass certain restrictions on abortion that do save the lives of some unborn children and educate women more about the decision that they're considering in regards to the dismemberment of their child. No, she says we need to we need to federally force that law on all 50 states. Now, okay, let's examine what Roe versus Wade is. She just said most people in America support Roe versus Wade. Most people don't even know what Roe versus Wade says, much less its companion case Doe versus Bolton, which was decided in 1973 and together make up American abortion law from the Supreme Court. So, if she's going to say most people in America support Roe versus Wade, we would have to assume that most people know what Roe versus Wade entails. And I think the reality is, is that they don't. I regularly speak on the issue of abortion on stages and people are always asking me questions like, well, since abortion is only legal through the second trimester or since abortion is illegal in the third trimester, blah, 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 fill in the question. And I always have to stop them and say, that's actually not the case. States can pass certain restrictions on abortion, but Roe versus Wade with Doe versus Bolton legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all. And they said that the third trimester of pregnancy could have restrictions unless, unless failure to get an abortion endangered the life or health of the mother. Okay, how did they define health? Well, literally anything. Doe versus Bolton said that the health of the mother could mean financial health, familial health, psychological health, emotional health, or issues pertaining to the woman's age. So we've defined health so broadly you could drive a Mack truck through it. And because abortion is a money-making business, what type of quote-unquote physician is going to not accept a woman's definition of health when accepting her definition of health will enable him to take her money to kill her baby? So you see, abortion is legal through all nine months of pregnancy. Well, we should start there. If we're going to talk about Roe v. Wade, most people don't even know that. And most Americans do not support that. Most Americans do not support third trimester abortions, abortion till the day of birth for any health reason that a woman would define health however she chooses. And we know this because there was a Gallup poll in 2018, last year, that examined these questions, asked the American public 
what they thought about third trimester abortions, killing babies in the final three months. And the question was very clear. Should third trimester abortions be legal or illegal? Okay. Now I'm going to give you percentages of opinions from three different years, and you're actually going to see a progression against third trimester abortions. So this poll found, and it's citing older polls as well, and then updating it in 2018, 25% of Americans in 2003 said abortion should be legal in the third trimester. Okay, so a quarter of the American public in 2003 said abortion legal in the third trimester. Only 22% in 2007 said abortion should be legal in the third trimester. So that dropped by three percentage points in four years. Now, what percentage said illegal? Well, in 2003, 68% of Americans said abortion should be illegal in the third trimester. Four years later, in 2007, 72% said abortion should be illegal in the third trimester. And then in 2018, in response to the question, should third trimester abortions be legal? 13% of Americans said abortion should be legal in the third trimester. 13%. So we have 25% legal in 2003, 22% legal in 2007, 13% legal in 2018. The remainder being it should be illegal or no opinion, which was like 1% of people registered saying that. So when Elizabeth Warren says that most people in America support Roe versus Wade, this is a blatant, intentionally deceptive lie. Most people, well, most would have to require what? 51%. That would have to be most at the most minimal requirements, correct? Well, last year, 13% said it should be legal in the third trimester. So Elizabeth Warren is lying on stage and I guarantee we won't see any fact checking from Snopes on that lie. Now, let's contrast this with the Democratic Party's position on late-term abortions. So, okay, in case you say, well, Elizabeth Warren is an anomaly, whatever. She's just saying what she thinks and nobody fact-checked her. They just, you know, accidentally missed fact-checking her. Well, let's contrast that with the Democratic Party's platform position on late-term abortions. And the way I'm actually going to do this is I'm going to show you what the Democratic Party's position has been on infanticide. Because if you support killing children after they're born, why would you reject third trimester abortions? Okay, if you're radical enough to say women should be able to have conversations with their doctors regarding whether they want to kill their infants after they're born, like Ralph Northam in Virginia, Governor of Virginia said on a radio show, then why would you reject third trimester abortions? Of course you wouldn't. So in 2002, under the Bush administration, George W. Bush um, helped pass a bill called the Born Alive uh, Protection Act. So what this said was that if a baby survived an abortion, so it's a failed abortion, botched abortion, the, the baby has escaped <laughs> through the birth canal and is now writhing in the doctor's hands, this bill said that that infant had to be treated as a person under the legal sense, okay? And that's pretty important. It's kind of a duh. <laughs> yes, if you're an infant and you've been born, you should be treated as a person. That got unanimous support on the Senate floor in D.C., both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat, had at least the moral sense to say if you've already been born and the attempt on your life via abortion has failed, then you're a person under the legal sense. Now, of course, we have these cases of Kermit Gosnell. There's a documentary on Gosnell called America's Most Prolific Serial Killer because he was holding infants by their ankles and snipping their spinal cords if he failed to abort them at his clinic. He's in jail now. But we know that this has been happening across the country because even third trimester abortions are a fairly large number of dead babies when you compare that low percentage to a million a year, right? So because of all the hubbub regarding 
Infanticide, Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska brings up a new and improved version, if you will, of the 2002 Born Alive Protection Act. And he calls his bill, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which is a lot more um, precise and, and a great term. It, it tells you exactly what it's about, protecting the survivors of failed abortions. So he brings this up for a vote on the Senate floor in, Feb uh, in February of this year, February 25th, 2019. And this bill was going to do three things. And this is why it was new and improved, by the way. It said that if a baby survived a failed abortion and was born, you had to treat that baby like you would treat any other baby born under normal circumstances. Again, pretty common sense, right? The baby's born now. Let's treat it like a baby if we're not going to treat it like a baby before it's born. Secondly, that baby has to immediately be transferred to a hospital and be given the same level of medical attention and care that any other baby would be given. Um, now, why, why, why is that? Well, as it turns out, friends, abortion clinics are not designed to preserve life. They're designed to eliminate, destroy, dismember life. So, of course, an abortion clinic is not equipped to care for live human beings. They're intended to assemble the baby limbs and body parts of dead babies and make sure that they didn't leave any fetal baby body parts in the mother's uterus. So they have to immediately transfer that baby to a hospital. And lastly, if you're an abortionist and you murder an infant that you failed to kill in utero, you're going to be charged with the murder of an innocent human being. And any staff at an abortion clinic that failed to report the fact that a baby was born during a failed abortion will be charged, not with murder, but will be held legally responsible for failing to report that. Okay, this all sounds like common sense. This is clearly an anti-infanticide bill. It had nothing to say about babies while they were still in their mother's wombs, only everything to say about those babies after they were born. Remember, 2002, unanimous support for an anti-infanticide bill from Democrats and Republicans. This February, this year, a few months ago, only three Democrat senators crossed the aisle to vote for an anti-infanticide bill. Only three from 2002 to 2019. Look at the radical shift in morality amongst the Democratic Party. Now, it actually got a majority vote. It was actually 53-44 in support of Ben Sasse's anti-infanticide bill. But thanks to the Democrat filibuster that had already been initiated, the Senate needed 60 votes to overcome that filibuster, and they only got 53. So you have these 44 Democrat senators who all voted to make it easier to kill babies after they're born. Meanwhile, every Republican voted to protect babies born alive after failed abortion. So if we want to contrast the American public's opinion on late-term abortions with the Democratic Party's position on late-term abortions, infanticide properly being defined as fourth trimester abortions, I think we can see a, there's, this is worlds apart difference here. Um, morally, socially, religiously, spiritually, I mean, my goodness. So to recap, 2018, only 13% of the American public think that third trimester abortion should be legal. So how many, what percentage points of Americans do you think support infanticide if only 13% support third trimester abortion? I'd guess 1% or less, probably less. You got Peter Singer, you know, he, he can go hang out with all of his morally bankrupt philosophers. And yet the Democratic Party refuses to vote for protecting infants after they're born. You want to know which U.S. senators, by the way, voted against protecting babies after they're born, who said, no, 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 
no need to pass legislation to make it harder to kill infants after they're born. Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Kristen Gillibrand, Cory Booker, and Elizabeth Warren all voted against protecting infants from infanticide who escape through the birth canal after failed abortions. This is the party of abortion, has been the party of abortion since 1973, and I'm going to suggest that we all begin to refer to the Democratic Party as the party of infanticide. That's not hyperbolic language. I'm saying that based off what you just heard. Only three Democratic senators voted in support of an anti-infanticide bill. Yeah, you're the party of infanticide. Go hang out with Moloch. All right, in one minute, we're going to examine Thursday's Democratic presidential primary debate, which was also an ideological train wreck, to put it lightly. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content from the front lines of the abortion wars, then head over to patreon.com slash unaborted to help sponsor this show so I can continue translating our country's feticide apologists doublespeak into reality. We'll see you in one minute. Alrighty, welcome back. So we're going to examine Thursday's Democratic presidential primary debate, which was directly followed, of course, Wednesdays and included a lot more of the popular leading Democratic presidential hopefuls and candidates at this point, including Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Kristen Gillibrand, and, uh, and yeah, and then uh, Pete Buttigieg and others who, of course, support abortion as well. Now, many of those people are ranking very low in the polls at this point. It seems like more likely, the more likely hopefuls at this point are probably Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, maybe. But of course, all of these people are ideologically conformed to the radical leftist pro-abortion to the day of birth and infanticide worldview. So we're going to examine some of the clips from Thursday's debate, particularly from Bernie Sanders and Kristen Gillibrand, as to their opinions on abortion, which are very telling as to where the Democratic Senate is right now and really where the Democratic Party platform is as we head into the 2020 election. So let's start with Bernie Sanders, self-proclaimed socialist and pro-abortion activist, senator from Vermont, and he's asked what he would do in regards to abortion if he's made president. A woman's right to control her own body is a constitutional right that government and politicians should not infringe on that right. We will do everything we can to defend our Roe versus Wade. So abortion, according to Bernie Sanders, you see, it, 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 it's just it's a woman's right to control her own body. It's not dismemberment. Don't, please, don't, don't use that word. Don't talk about medically, surgically correct language that describes an abortion. It's just a woman's right to control her own body. And, and that right to control her own body is actually a constitutional right. Now, you've heard this before. I'm not talking about anything new. This is an extremely overused phrase to describe abortion and the the right to abortion, right? It's a right because it's a constitutional right. And that's what our country is founded on. And so therefore, if you care about American ideals, then you need to support abortion because abortion is tied up into the constitution. So we're going to talk about the two ludicrous nature, the two ludicrous claims that are present in this, in this single sentence that a woman's right to control her own body is a constitutional right. 
Now, Bernie Sanders has been incredibly pro-abortion for his entire political career. And of course, has lived off the public dole uh, to advance these radically morally bankrupt ideas, namely the right for women to kill their unborn children. So first he, he says that abortion is a woman's right to control her own body. That's how he explains what abortion is and does. That's the true nature of abortion. You see, it's bodily autonomy. That's the argument being made here. A right to control your own body. Now, of course, we, we, we believe that people have the right to control their own body. What, what pro-life individuals point out is that, is that once the control of your own body manifests in the harm of another human being, bodily autonomy ceases to exist. Bodily autonomy ceases to be something that's protected by the justice system, by our laws, because you can't use your body to harm other people. So there is no, there is no exhaustive right to bodily autonomy. For example, you don't have the bodily autonomy to, to beat your spouse. Now that's a man you, utilizing his body to hurt others. You can't do that. You, you can't drive drunk. You can't do that with your body. You can't go streaking. That's you doing something with your body. Our country prevents you from doing something, certain things because it's actually not bodily autonomy. You're actually compromising someone else's bodily autonomy. And that would certainly be the case in abortion where an unborn human being is intentionally dismembered and then we defend it under the mantle reproductive health care, right? Remember Julian Castro, reproductive justice. So according to Sanders, abortion is merely the right to control your own body, but you don't have a moral right and you should not have a legal right to kill another human being simply because that human being finds himself six inches away in their mother's womb, is smaller, is less developed, is more dependent on their mother for life. Those are bad reasons to justify the killing of someone else. So let's just debunk that all too common phrase that abortion is a woman controlling her own body. Now, the second part of his response is to what he would do in regards to the abortion issue if he's elected president is that is that see the reason it needs to be protected this bodily autonomy this this abortion is because it's a constitutional right so i mean this what 12 sentence 12 word sentence is just is just ripe with with illogic with with deeply immoral suggestions and with intentionally deceptive language talking about abortion as bodily autonomy. But is abortion a constitutional right? Is the right for, for a, a woman or a man to, to pay a abortionist pretending to be a physician to forcibly dilate her cervix and then intentionally dismember the child inside of her and then make sure that they, they reassemble all the baby body parts so that the woman doesn't get an infection from the dead limbs left in her uterus, is, is that protected in the Constitution? Now, <laughs> properly describing abortion like that should, should lead any, any rational human being who cares about justice to the answer and conclusion that that's not something that's protected in the Constitution. And why? Well, if we want to talk about the Constitution, we have to talk about the Declaration of Independence because that describes much of what we care about as a country and the things that we were founded on. And you know where I'm going, right? The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, it, 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 it you know, goes without saying that you don't have liberty and you don't have the pursuit of happiness if you're dead. 
This is why the right to life has always trumped all other rights. That has to be protected if you want to have liberty, if you want to have the option to pursue your vision of the good life. But if you're dead, obviously you can't do that. So describing abortion as a constitutional right is so, so intentionally misleading and deceptive. But of course, that's what you have to do if you defend the killing of children. If, if Democrats were to describe abortion in medically, surgically correct terminology, do you think they would ever end up in the White House? Of course not, because truth has a very inconvenient way of reasserting itself in our lives, whether we wanted to or not, doesn't it? <laughs> and so the reality of abortion being an objective reality, the dismemberment of abortion being the reality of what happens to unborn children, will reassert itself in every person's life, regardless of how you want to describe it. So, so Democrat particularly Democratic presidential hopefuls, have to work overtime to use Orwellian doublespeak language to make the horror of abortion sound like something that's not so horrific. So it's just bodily autonomy. It's just a constitutional right. But abortion is the intentional death of the unborn human being. And if you don't have a right to life, you don't have any other rights at all. So abortion is not bodily autonomy. Abortion is the worst form of child abuse because it ends in a dead child. And abortion is certainly not a constitutional right because we were founded on the idea that the right to life is paramount and must be protected first. Now, I just want to point out, if you're listening to this show and you describe yourself as a Democrat or a moderate, or maybe you're not sure, but maybe you grew up in a family with parents who were lifelong Democrats, right? And But, but you're a classical liberal. You, you like the ideas of individual freedom, personal responsibility. Of course, you, you do support a certain level of, of, of government involvement in people's lives, particularly through um, the medical insurance. And, and, you know, maybe it's okay that more people pay more in taxes to help the little guy in that way. That's fine, whatever. But if you, if you don't like the idea of the radical abortion agenda of the current Democratic Party, which I've illustrated today in how Democratic senators on the Hill have voted for an anti-infanticide bill. If you won't vote against killing babies who have survived abortions by escaping through the birth canal, obviously you're perfectly fine with third trimester abortion. So if you're a Democrat or you're not a Republican and you're not sure and you don't like the idea of this, what these presidential hopefuls are saying about abortion and killing babies, I would just encourage you to reconsider your political identity, your relationship with the Democratic Party, regardless of how strong that relationship is. Because if this were slavery, I think all of us would be having a mass exodus from the Democratic Party. Now, of course, ironically, the Democratic Party was a party of slavery. <laughs> now they're the party of abortion, and now they're the party of infanticide. But if, if you believe that there is some type of value and dignity to life in the womb, which I'm going to argue starts from the moment of conception. But if you believe there's any dignity or value to that life at all, maybe reconsider your support of this party's platform because it is abortion to the day of birth for any reason or no reason at all. And they refused to condemn the governor of Virginia for saying on a radio show, if the baby's born alive, we'll make it comfortable. We'll resuscitate the baby if that's what the mother wants. And then the mother and doctor will have a conversation about what to do with that infant. If that kind of stuff scares you in the fact that no mainstream Democratic presidential hopeful condemned that type of language, maybe reconsider your identity with the Democratic Party because the right to life is the most important, okay? And if we don't have that and we're not 
protecting the right to life of an entire class of human beings, what's next? If, if we don't protect the right to life for an entire class of human beings, namely pre-born human beings, then philosophically, what stops that worldview from progressing to the justification of killing other human beings? Just something to think about. Secondly, and lastly, I want to move on to Kristen Gillibrand, okay? Senator from New York, who uh, Ben Shapiro uh, hilariously describes as having more positions than the Kama Sutra because she has flipped and flopped on issues her entire political career in order to pander to those whose vote she thinks she needs. Well, for the last several years, she's been incredibly pro-abortion. She, she used to kind of say that maybe we shouldn't have public funding for abortion. Maybe abortion should be restricted to some extent. Not anymore. She has pandered to the radical left in order to obtain the votes that she thinks she needs to get into the White House. So she was also questioned on Thursday at the, the, the second Democratic presidential primary debate um, in regards to abortion. And she actually interjected a lot. She had a lot to say pandering to radical uh, pro-abortion leftists. But yeah, here's what she said, and let's listen to, to her response. I, and I want to talk directly, directly to America's women and to the men who love them. Women's reproductive rights are under assault by tr President Trump and the Republican Party. 30 states are trying to overturn Roe v. Wade right now. And it is mind-boggling to me that we are debating this on this stage in 2019 among Democrats, whether women should have access to reproductive rights. <laughs> All righty. So she, she interjects after one of her colleagues finished an answer. She interjects and says, I, I want to talk directly to America's women and the men who love them. That is, that is so demeaning. I, I want to talk to America's women. I mean, if you don't understand, if you don't see what she just did, I'd, I'd encourage you to rewind and listen to that clip again. She's talking about abortion. She's saying, after saying, I want to talk to America's women and the men who love them. She's saying women's reproductive rights are on the line. They're being threatened regularly. All these states are trying to pass pro-life legislation that says, maybe we shouldn't kill unborn children. So she's assuming within this statement that every American woman agrees with Kristen Gillibrand's position on feticide. And yes, abortion is feticide. Let's start using terms that describe abortion correctly. I want to talk directly to America's women. And then, of course, demeans every pro-life male who doesn't think that we should be killing unborn children by saying, and the men who love them. So that's, that could be anyone. That could be her. That could be the woman's husband, her boyfriend, her brother, her dad, her cousin, her coworker, her boss, literally anyone who, who loves the women who Kristen Gillibrand assumes must just be up uh, supporting abortion to the day of birth, right? That's, that's what women's is about, right? We're about women's rights, unless you're an unborn woman, apparently. So again, the, the intentionally deceptive and misleading language here is, is evidenced in the fact that the American public's opinion on abortion is worlds apart from every single Democratic presidential hopeful, at least everyone that gave their opinion on abortion in the first and second primary debate. So there's a Gallup poll from 2018 called Abortion Trends by Gender. Okay, so let's look at what men and women actually think about abortion because Gillibrand is lumping every American female and the men who love them into her bankrupt position on feticide. So this Gallup poll asked this question. Do you think abortion should be legal under any circumstance, legal only under certain circumstances, or illegal in all circumstances? Okay, so this was 2018. This was last year. This was, what, six months ago? 
women in 2018 said that 31% of women in 2018 said abortion should be legal under any circumstance. 31%. That's not even close to a majority. But apparently she's talking to every American woman. Men, 27% of men in 2018 said that abortion should be legal under any circumstance. So that's actually, that's interesting. So less, less men in 2018 supported the radical pro-abortion agenda of abortion to the day of birth through the third trimester. And then in this same poll, this abortion trends by gender, um, they also split up the American public in terms of whether they considered themselves pro-life or pro-choice. So we, we kind of just saw the percentages of support for abortion in the third trimester. Now, this is specifically what do, who, what do men consider themselves pro-life or pro-choice and what, what percentage of women consider themselves pro-life or pro-choice? Again, last year's poll from Gallup, 48% of women consider themselves pro-choice and 47% of women consider themselves pro-life. So just one percentage less of women in America consider themselves pro-life compared to women who consider themselves pro-choice. That's nearly half of the American public who are saying they're pro-choice and nearly half who are saying they're pro-life. So it's just so dishonest and demeaning to describe every American woman and the men who love them as ideologically conformed to the radical left's agenda of killing children to the day of birth and having conversations with your doctor regarding whether we kill children after they're born. But there's Gillibrand's uh, belief in regards to the American public's opinion on abortion. And if that disturbs you, again, then maybe this is not a party we should be affiliating with. So the second part of her statement, if you remembered, she said, it is mind boggling to me that we are debating this on this stage in 2019 among Democrats, whether women should have access to reproductive rights. Now, what does she mean by access to reproductive rights? She means the, the legal right to pay a physician to rip your child apart limb from limb through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all. Okay, wow. That, yeah, that, that's the reality when she says whether women should have access to reproductive rights. And notice she says, it's mind-boggling to me that we're, we're debating this among Democrats in 2019. So once again, once again, obviously I'm not a Democrat, but I just want to speak to those of you who are moderates. Like she just described every Democrat as ideologically conformed to her position. It's, it's shocking to me that in 2019 among Democrats, we're having this, this opinion as to whether women should have the, the legal right to kill their unborn children uh, for any reason or no reason at all. So again, if that, if that disturbs you, Consider your affiliation with this, with this party. They're not representing you. If you are at all disturbed by abortion, particularly third trimester abortions, which only 31% of women in America think should be legal under any circumstance, then maybe call your senators, call your representatives. Demand more equal representation to what your views are as maybe a moderate Democrat compared to this radical version of the Democratic Party that just want to keep feeding children down the throat of Moloch. Now, lastly, I want to point to one other Gallup poll in 2018 in regards to the American opinion on abortion, because it, th this is the true reality. We, we need to look at what the statistics say, because we are going to be intentionally misled and deceived by all of these Democratic presidential hopefuls, particularly as it pertains to the issue of abortion, as I've illustrated for the last hour. So a Gallup poll in 2018 asked the question, 
Do you think abortions should be legal under any circumstance, legal only under certain circumstances, or illegal in all circumstances? Now, I examined that question a few minutes ago, but only as it pertained to women and men. So this is, this is regardless of gender. This is just the American public's opinion on abortion. 29% of Americans said abortion should be legal under any circumstance. Again, that's not even a third that think it should be legal under any circumstance, meaning to the day of birth. 50% said legal only under certain circumstances. So half of the country support abortion only under certain circumstances. But Gillibrand wants to talk directly to American women and the men who love them because they should be con as concerned as she is with the current state of the abortion wars. But her concern is that no woman should be prevented from getting an abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all. And you can't even point to the 50% of Americans who say it should be legal only under certain circumstances to, to prove American support for her position because they have exceptions only under certain circumstances. And then 18% of Americans said it should be illegal in all circumstances. 18% is not insignificant. So it's, it's very deceptive and disrespectful and dehumanizing, frankly, to, to assume that every human being in the country believes what Kristen Gillibrand does. So these are our 2020 Democratic presidential hopefuls, and at least the ones that have responded to questions on abortion in the context of the last two Democratic presidential primary debates. Amy Klobuchar, Julian Castro, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders and Kristen Gillibrand all showing that we need to continue supporting abortion to the day of birth. We need to fund it with your tax dollars. And if you don't like that, go stick it where the sun don't shine. So this, this, is, this, is, what, this is what is morally happening and politically happening as we lead up to the 2020 elections. And so continue to uh, tune into this show once a week, Unaborted with Seth Gruber, as we examine the current moral, political, and spiritual state of our country as it pertains to the issue of abortion. So thank you for joining the show today, being the first episode of my new show, Unaborted. It really means a lot that you would join me as we wrestle through this culture of death and our current political climate that is pushing the abortion juggernaut worldview forward. Now, if you enjoyed the first episode of this show and this was helpful and valuable to you, uh, go ahead and give us a review. As you know, it always helps. And head on over to my website at sethgruber.com. That's S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com. This is my full-time gig. I've committed myself to speaking and equipping young people, adults, pro-life leaders, politicians on how to engage this issue in our culture of death so that we can be a voice for the unborn, a voice for the voiceless. So if that was helpful, head on over to my website, join my newsletter, and I have a ton of more helpful content for you to translate this culture's Orwellian doublespeak into reality. Please join us next week for episode two, and I'll see you then. Godspeed. <laughs>